This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Crossway. Navigating the Christian life in a secular world will inevitably stir questions in the lives of thoughtful believers. In Ask Pastor John, Tony Ranke summarizes and organizes 10 years of the most insightful and popular episodes of the Ask Pastor John podcast, allowing readers to quickly and systematically access Piper's insights on hundreds of topics, including Bible reading, dating, social media, mental health, and more. Pick up a copy of Ask Pastor John wherever books are sold or visit crossway.org slash plus to find out how you can get 30% off. You're listening to the Gospel Coalition podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. Today, we bring you a breakout session with Jamie Ivey, Jackie Hill Perry, and Itohan Omolere as they discuss embracing the beauty of diversity. This workshop was originally held at TGC's 2018 Women's Conference. Lord, I thank you that you have saved us. I thank you that you have saved us and invited us into fellowship with a body with unique and different giftings, unique and different ethnicities, cultures, backgrounds. And I thank you, God, that we are able to see you um, in your manifold wisdom and glory in a different way because we're surrounded by so many different people. And so I thank you for your gospel and how it unites us all on the banner, under the banner of one God who we love and serve, who is Jesus Christ. So fill us, help us, lead us, teach us, convict us, encourage us. And I pray that we leave this room better people. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So, ladies, I guess I'll say who I am. I'm Jackie Hill Perry, and I'm black. And I could have just, you know, been in the sun a long time. You never know. Um, And (laughs) I think what I bring to this topic is just being a minority, um, but also being a believer who has is often in different spaces where people don't look like me, don't sound like me. And so me learning how to navigate uh, those spaces has given me a unique perspective on this type of conversation. Um, And I do poetry. I teach. I rap. uh, I have a three year old and a four week year old. I know those don't go together, but that's I don't know how else to say it. Um, And I love Jesus. What do you do? (laughs) Hey, (laughs) my name is Jamie Ivy and I have a podcast. That's my main gig. It's called the happy hour Jamie Ivy and I am an author. And I have four children. And so I think the reason that this conversation is important to me and I can speak into it in the smallest way is that three out of four of my children joined our family through adoption. And they are all uh, two came to our family from Haiti 
And one joined our family domestically. And so all three of them are black and I have one child that's not. And my husband and I are both white. And so that is where I can come into this conversation just as a mom raising kids who are in the minority culture. Uh, and I will say uh, it, it is it is very honoring to be on this stage um, because I am a listener and a learner, as most of you are in here as well. And so know that coming from me is that I do not come with um, the experience of a black woman and I do not come with a lot of knowledge. I come with zero experience as a black woman, but I am raising black children. And I love Jesus too. Uh, that's good. Yes. That's <laughs> yes. good. I do a lot. Because we would be up here evangelizing to you, girl. <laughs> I love Jesus a lot. Good afternoon. My name is Itohan Omalere, and I love Jesus too. Love the Lord. Um, I am a, a poet. I'm an artist, a, a worship leader. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, ooh, yes. All right. I want to know what churches all of you go to after this. Um, and I. Uh, I work for an organization and ministry called Grip Outreach for Youth um, that recruits Christian adults to mentor teens in the city um, under the banner of defending the fatherless. Um, let's see, diversity. Oh, I am first generation Nigerian American, um, raised in a black Baptist church on the west side of Chicago. Um, I lived for most of my upbringing in Oak Park, Illinois, which is a, a very diverse suburb of the West Chicago and um, currently lead worship and, and ministry leader in um, a, a diverse church, but pro primarily white and Latino environment. Um, I've had a lot of diverse experiences and I want to speak from there um, as, again, first generation child of immigrants, um, black woman seen as a black woman um, and lived in the black African-American experience. Praise the Lord. Um, so I'm just going to ask questions and I tend to be a very inquisitive person. So there may be times where I ask a question based on what they said, because I just get excited when people got good answers to stuff. Um, and so my first question is a very simple question, because I don't want to assume that we all know the definitions of certain words. Right. And so how would one of you define diversity? You want me to go? I'll go because I just Googled it before we got up. That's here. awesome. That is great. That's preparation. I knew you were going to ask. Um, here we go. I got three things for us. The state or fact of being diverse, difference, unlikeness, variety, the inclusion of individuals representing more than one national origin, color, religion, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, etc. Wow. That's just um, what the dictionary told what's me. What's the synonym of that? Variety? Okay, that has nothing to do with the topic. So um, what, what do you think, why, why are we even having this conversation? What is the purpose of diversity specifically as believers? Why, do, why is it something that we need to embrace in the first place? I'll say, um, when I look at the scripture and I see the account in Genesis 1 of the Lord creating the earth, I hear him say, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And I, I get stuck there for a second because I think about what a full earth looks like and all the nations and cultures that are represented there. So I see that the author of diversity is God. And then I read further, right? 
get to, I think it's like verse, verse 28 and see that God called his creation, all of it, good. Um, so I think that as believers, those made in the image of God, we too should call diversity good and look for it and look for it not only in the world that God has created, but look for it in the communities that we live in, that we serve in, in our own lives, in our friendships, in our relationships, um, in those who pour into us. Having a diversity of, of voices um, helps us, I think, worship the Lord better. Um, because we see and understand the beauty that he saw in the creation that he made. Praise Father. Um, question off of that, because I think in an extension of seeing diversity as a good thing, that to me would include celebrating diversity and the distinctions within that. I say that to say, do you think that celebrating diversity is the same as division? Or is can division come out of celebrating diversity? Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> oh, are you asking? Anybody. I think celebrating diversity is not only a good thing, but a necessary thing to then again honor the image that God chose to create you in. So you should know and you should celebrate the culture um, that you grew up in. And, and like everything else, we measure it by the Lord's standard, right? So we all have things within our cultures, within our training that are not God honoring. Um, and we submit those things to him. But I think to, to answer the question, it can cause division only if we do not first note that God created us in his image and there's an equality there. There's a, when there's not, when there's a, a putting of one's culture over the other, I think that's when we are now unable to um, celebrate the distinctions uh, and we're not able to celebrate the distinctions when we think this distinction means one is better than the other then we've perverted what God created what do you think <laughs> you're such a good podcaster <laughs> I agree with Ito so next question I, I think um, <laughs> what, what, I, what I was going to say I think one of the things uh, that could be a stumbling block to celebrating diversity as a good thing are a few things, but I think confusion over what diversity is, because I know when I worked in Chicago, the, the job that Ito now does was my position at one point in time. And in that position, we were, she is now, but I was the female mentorship coordinator over 60 to 70 women. 85% of them being white middle-class Americans that are now um, trying to mentor you know, fatherless black children from some from the hood, some from the suburbs, but two different worlds, right? And what was happening was that the assumption, it, it was just this like assimilating kind of thing where they felt like, oh, I'm being diverse. And it's like, no, you're actually trying to bring them into your world, into your culture, and you're trying to label it diversity. And so I think, I say all that to say, I think one of the stumbling blocks of celebrating it as a good thing is even in church or churches or leadership where you invite people into your space who might be a different ethnicity, but they're culturally just like you. So they speak like you, they're like you economically, they dress like you. And so you think it's diverse and it's like, no, you just found another person in your image and you want to label it something that is not. And so I think that's one thing. Do you think there are other stumbling blocks to this celebration of 
I would just add, just kind of to piggyback on what you're saying. It's also um, I don't I don't think diversity is sustainable. Healthy diversity, he- healthy diverse community is not sustainable when there is not also diverse leadership, because the natural reaction is then to assimilate to the culture of the leadership. So there needs to be a variance of culture among the leadership. How has it been, I think, within your family structure? How have you grown in embracing the beauty of diversity because of your family? Yeah, so we've been a multi-ethnic family for eight, no, 12 years now. And so I have said a thousand times, and it's it's never less embarrassing to say what I'm about to say, but I'll just humbly come before you and say this is how I feel was um these the issue these issues these ideas these thoughts they were not in my brain before i had black children and so i think that is a common thing for for white women and i think the first step is to to acknowledge that and for me to say you know this is true about i and the reason it wasn't my brain because it didn't have to be in my brain white people don't have to think about this it's we just go through our day and we never have to think about it. So parenting children who now, they have to think about it. And I have to think about it with them and for them a little bit now. Um, it has, it's made me a different person. It's made me go back to what you were saying at the beginning with Genesis. It's made me look at the world through different eyes. And I'm grateful. I'm eternally grateful uh, for that. And so I don't think you have to have black children for that to happen. Um, I think you need... I, or, and, and, and we'll say in black, but let's just say any different ethnic than your own. Um, but I think you do need to have friends in your life that look different than you um, in order to even begin to understand the smallest part of any of the conversation. And so my family has done that for me, and I'm grateful for that. That was the beauty about shout out to everybody that lived in Chicago because that was the, the, the beauty about Chicago is that I was exposed to so many different ethnicities than my own because I'm from St. Louis and St. Louis is just real it's just black white you know it's black white it's, it's just it ain't no in between and so that was all I knew and so when I moved to Chicago I started to have friends with friends that are be friends with people that are Korean and Nigerian and Jamaican and Puerto Rican and Mexican like I honestly used to think Puerto Rican and Mexicans were the same and I was like oh like y'all literally two different like people and I just didn't even know and so it was just so helpful for me I feel like I just became more of a whole person when I was able to invite different types of people into my life into my circle and so I think that's a a, one of the beauties of it for sure what about y'all never mind (laughs) you kind of spoke to this a little bit just now but what do you think is the role of your past as it relates to your family and your engagement on issues of ethnicity yeah I sometimes like to to think that I I don't have and I don't I don't deserve or have this authority to speak into this issue as a black person I'm I'm clearly white but I have I feel as though God has put me up in the position that I'm in with the job that I have with the voice that I have with the listeners I mean I've told Jackie this all my listeners are whites. I'm like, I need some, you know, 
I'm going to share this real quick funny story. So we was like in the car at like 4 a.m. because we both had to go to the airport together after an event. And she was talking about podcasts. And I was like, yeah, black black people don't really listen to podcasts for real. (laughs) (laughs) And did you know that was a thing? I don't know if you knew that was a thing yet. Because you were talking about how you want more. Yes, please. And I was like, we don't do that. But uh, every like white friend I got got about five, six podcasts that they listen to. I'm like, when do y'all do this? Like, who has time? But I don't. Hey, I listen to some great podcasts by black women. I'm going to hook you up. I believe you. I'm not saying. <laughs> I ain't saying it don't exist. I just don't know many people that just. Did. I watch YouTube. So put your podcast on YouTube. on YouTube. I promise you. I got okay. you. Okay. Okay. I got you. So with my podcast being mostly white listeners, I feel as though God has given me a little bit of favor there is to, from what I'm learning to kind of push that back out. You know, it's like discipleship, teach the people what you just learned. And so I'm like learning and listening. And I, I, I learned something this morning, you guys, like I'm constantly learning as a parent to black children about what it means to grow up with your, your, with, you know, your skin being darker than mine. And so I'm learning about this all the time. And so I feel as though part of my ministry that God's put me in is to just try to help white women understand a little bit more every single day. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. You mind sharing your recent What happened this morning? Yes. You don't have to. I know I will. I'm fine. Whatever. So this, so I have my daughter's here with me. She's ten. She's super cute. You'll see her walk around with me. And um, yesterday, she wore like her favorite dress that she owns. Did anyone see her yesterday? You know where I'm going with this? Okay. Somebody said yes. Okay, so she wore like her favorite dress yesterday, and she just looks so cute. Whatever. And I got a message on Instagram this morning from someone, and they said, "Hey, it's a white woman." She said, "I have a very honest question to ask you. I noticed that your daughter yesterday had her dress had watermelons all over it." And, Everybody knew but me. <laughs> and she okay. and um and uh she said, "I have been told not to put my kids in clothes with watermelons." So I, my first instinct, I told Jackie this, just to be very honest, my first instinct was like. That's dumb. She's 10. She loves watermelon. I don't know. What's the big deal? But I've learned that I text my friend Andrea, who's my real life friend, not just my like black person that I ha- got their phone number somehow. Like she's my like, <laughs> she's my real life friend. And I said, I, sh- I screenshotted. I told Andrea, I said, am I doing something wrong? And she did the little face that looks like this. <laughs> That was her first response. And then she taught me. I mean, she said, here's where this comes from. Some people may think this. At the end of the day, she said, do I think you did anything wrong? No. Um, and I don't think I did anything wrong, but I was, I, I want to know. And so I asked, um, will I let Story wear the dress? Yes. Uh, but I told Jackie today and she said, I didn't notice, but some people that I know did. And so I don't know what to do with that except for keep, I don't know, but that's what I learned today. And and I, I what I told Jamie I don't I don't think I told you but I think what that's such a teachable moment just because it really shows how there has to be a willingness to learn one but you wouldn't have even learned it if you didn't have anybody in your space that you can ask an honest question to and so I think that speaks to. Uh, you know, if I'm the black girl who is your friend, not being easily offended by the questions that you might ask that you feel awkward about and me being willing to love you even through that, you know? 
I mean, I tell my friend Andrew, I said, thank you for letting me always ask you this question. Because I know it's not easy as a black person to always be the person. I don't, the, like, you're supposed to be educating everyone. And you're not supposed to. But I have a real relationship with her. So I don't go to her as like, oh, you're black. Can you tell me something? But we have a relationship. And I think that is the key. Because I know, no, I don't know. I've heard. It can be super exhausting. It, it's, it's very exhausting. Um, but I have a friend who I went to church with. Her name is Lindsay. And we were real close. And I said, Lindsay, I have a really honest question. I really hope this isn't offensive. And she was like, well, I was like, so like, you got to wash your kids hair every day? Because I was like, I heard like, y'all got to wash y'all hair every day. We don't have that struggle, you know? And I, she, I was like, because I heard like it gets oily or something like that. I was like, I just really want to know because that just seems like a lot of work. You got four kids. And she was like, no, sometimes we skip. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I just wanted to know, Dry girl. shampoo, girl. Dry That's shampoo. That's a lot. Ito, is there a wrong way to ask a question to learn from another ethnic ethnicity or race or whatever? I think if you're asking a question, the first thing that you want to be sure to do is be self-aware. And I think when we're self-aware, we're automatically coming from a place of humility. So I would say... A wrong way to ask a question is to do so taking an offensive or defensive tone. You should be humble when you're asking questions. Um, And just like both of these women said, they had a question. They knew that it might not be received well without understanding the context. So they said, hey, I hope this isn't offensive. I have something to say. I don't know how it's going to be received. There's a humility there. There's a willingness to put oneself, um, you know, submit oneself in order to be taught. And I think that's the the right way to ask what could be a difficult question or even having difficult conversations. Um, I I went to church uh, with a brother who a few years ago who's African-American. And he was saying, like, we created a space to have a conversation. I mean, our country has been going through a lot of racial tension forever since existence. Right. But it's been more publicized the past few years. And so there were people in our church seeking to have conversations that we knew might be difficult. And, you know, he said that I'm I'm we're creating this space because I need to give my bright brothers and sisters a, a space to be able to gaff and say things that not. But I also need them to know that if it's wrong and offensive, I'm going to say that and state that truthfully and unapologetically. Um, and I think too, like laying down your pride, because I don't understand why that dress is offensive. It's not offensive to me, but I, but for me to go, okay, I hear what you're saying. My human response is like, that's dumb, but yet I'm, I don't want to feel that way because I want to respect and honor what you're telling me because you're not a liar. So I think that's one thing too, is to go, I don't get this. It doesn't really make sense, but you know what? I've never been black. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. And that comes from, I think, specifically as it relates to watermelon. Some, some, using this as an example would be, it really speaks to how much we need to learn each other's history. Because black people, we know what the association with watermelon is. It's, it's, it's coonish, you know, it's, it's niggerish, to be frank, is what they would say. Just like it comes with monkeys or fried chicken. It's this, this association that uh, we were just judged and, and, and it just was wrong and just bad. But you have no idea, you know what I'm saying? And so I think it's valuable for us to learn each other's history so that we can then know what is triggering and what isn't, you know. Were, were you going to say something? The spirit left. 
No, he didn't. You're sealed, girl. You're sealed. Um, <laughs> how? So, uh, one time I went to Joplin, right? Joplin, Missouri. You probably never heard, heard of it. And you've heard of Joplin? Anyone Why were you there? Joplin? You're from I'm, Joplin? No, you ain't there. You left. <laughs> you're probably in Kansas City or something, ain't you? Where you live? You live in the Ozarks? It's such peace. I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic. Um, I was in Joplin and I was doing uh, ministry out there and I was having a conversation with a friend. He's a white guy. and He was like, Jackie, I really want to embrace diversity. I want to have more relationships with people that don't look like me, but that doesn't exist here. What do I do? I didn't know how to answer that question because that is that is some people's lives where there is not no diversity and so how then do they embrace diversity when it doesn't even exist how would you speak into that that's a great question and i was just telling them i live in austin texas and austin um there are not a lot of black people in austin uh we are probably majority white next would probably be um hispanic um I bet there's even something before black people because there's just not a lot. Um, and so I understand that in people who live in super small towns, that might be hard for them. But I would guess that there is not, well, I don't know, this could be dumb. I was thinking there can't be a city in America that there's not someone that doesn't look like you. I mean, there has to be somebody. But if you live in a, a larger city and maybe just your kid's school or the church that you go to or your neighborhood is very, you know, white, there are restaurants that are run by people who don't look like you. And I think that's a really easy first step is there is, you know, an Indian restaurant that our family loves to go to Um, and not an Indian restaurant run by white people. It's like an Indian restaurant run by people from, you know, they're making good stuff. So we're making relationships there. We're letting our kids see different cultures. There is an Ethiopian restaurant in Austin that we love to go to. We get to eat with our hands. And so we're letting our kids see different cultures, even though that we haven't taken them to Ethiopia. And so I think it's a hard question. Um, we also live in the world of the internet. There are ways that you can learn um, and be engaged with people online that look different than you as well. And I would also say pay attention to other forms of diversity besides racial diversity. There are places where there's not racial diversity and also not economic diversity, but I think those places are very rare. Those places are very rare. So there's other forms of diversity that you can, um, are you building relationships with people who are um, at a different economic position than you are? Are you comfortable talking and engaging, having relationships with people who are either very wealthy or very poor? If we're not, we need to talk about that. You know, and I think the reason, and we also have to pay attention to why there are communities where there, if, where there isn't a lot of diversity. That's a good way also to to um, champion the cause of diversity, to study and to understand um, the systemic issues that have impacted where you live and created these separations. Uh, I don't know if you know Trillia Newbell. Um, she's a writer, and she. I was on a panel with her, and she was speaking about as a parent, 
one of the ways in which she tries to teach her children and her family to be more culturally diverse is that they pick a week out of each month and they pick a culture or a country. And every day they will cook a meal that is related to that country. And they will watch a documentary that is in that country's language with subtitles and they'll discuss it. And just like, since she's in Nashville. And so they're learning about all of these different cultures all over the world that they don't have access to because they have access to Netflix. They have access to a grocery store. They have access to all these other things. And so I think as a parent, that's a super uh, practical way to learn that type of stuff. What do you think is the most challenging part of living in a diverse community. Can I go back for a split second? Just, you said what? Can I go back for a minute? Do a what second? you got to do, girl. Okay, just going back to, so um, part of, one of the things that we, I do in my role, apart from mentor women who mentor girls through our program, is we also um, partner with other churches and ministries in the city of Chicago that want us to come and help train them on mentor, mentoring teens in Chicago. So, um, one of our trainings is just uh, gives kind of a, a short history lesson of Chicago and the neighborhoods, how they're created, and also talks about, you know, something like redlining and the, the creation of those neighborhoods. So um, one of the first activities that we have people do, uh, something called, I call the spectrum of awareness. And it just talks about how um, informed are you on issues of systemic injustice. And noting that how informed are you is a direct result of where you're from and who your teachers were. So something that you don't have to look at with shame, but just note who you are in your context. And so we're all equal on the spectrum of awareness, right? But being self-aware of where you are also helps you um, form a framework for what you need to study and who you need to learn from. I mean, and there the there are so many books out there that you could get. I mean, you come talk to us afterwards. We all have our favorites, I'm sure. Um, so many books, so many documentaries on Netflix, um, just to do exactly that, just to learn. I mean, I I remember I read Just Mercy a couple years ago, and it's one of the best books I've ever read. And I think everybody in America needs to read it. And it opened my eyes up to things that I never even knew existed because of where I grew up, because of how I lived. Race is a big topic nowadays. I think as women who are attentive to what's happening and stuff like that, what do you think concerns you the most? I'll say what concerns me the most <laughs> while you process. Um, I'm going to be frank because I can't help but be it. Um, God is so good. Um <laughs> No, I'll say what encourages me first. I think what is, what is encouraging to me is that I do see a lot of people willing to learn that were not willing to learn five years ago. Um, and I'm very, very encouraged by that, by the questions that I'm asked, by uh, the prayers that I receive. There's just an attentiveness and a wanting to love people that look differently that I, I, that I feel and that I see and that I notice. And so I deeply appreciate that because to me, it's evidence that God really is sanctifying his church and he really is being faithful uh, to present him fault, pr present us faultless and blameless before himself. And so I think race is doing one of those things because ultimately race is is lovelessness and so I think God is like hey if you're gonna look like me we got to get this out of the body and so that's beautiful the discouraging part 
is the parts of the body or they may not be a part of the body, but they profess to be. But the parts of the body that are still so arrogant in their positions and so unwilling to humble themselves and see that maybe my perspective on race and on life and on history is actually wrong. I think that is what concerns me the most because they are not really highlighting the gospel and what it really is supposed to do to the body and to our hearts and to our souls. And so that's discouraging to me Um, and how it's affecting people. You know, it's affecting people. I see people leaving the church because of people within the church who are unwilling to understand. And that's dangerous. You know, I I agree wholeheartedly that I was going to say the thing that is, you know, disheartening to me would be uh, the lack of willing to listen, the lack of willing to be wrong, um, the lack of willing to say that I'm going to I'm going to listen and understand even if I I'm going to listen and try to understand, even if I've never felt what you felt. And so I think that is really, um, disheartening. It is that just that idea that I'm, I'm going to stand and be right. I don't care what you tell me that this is how it's always been. And this is what we're going to do. Um, and that it's, it's embarrassing and it's disgusting to the world, uh, to see the church acting that way. Um, and I think, Jackie, I think you're right. I think something is happening and, and, and God is on his throne and he is going to win this. Like, let's not be worried about that. But, um, I think along the way it's going to be ugly. And I think that it is because I think also people's hearts are going to be torn open for things. And so I'm encouraged by what you said as well. I'm discouraged by some of the lack of willing to listen. Um, my, my, big thing, um, soapbox that I want to stand on too is just to encourage anyone in here that is the majority culture is that this is something that we have to be teaching our children about. Um, majority culture is going to have to change things. Uh, I'm not saying that we're going to, we're going to have to change the way we teach our children. And so if we don't teach our children about these things, they'll be just like the generations before us and it will not affect them and it will not matter to them. And so it has to matter to our children. And so that's, that's the soapbox I get on. I think what's uh, most uh, discouraging for me at times is that we have to understand that we are, we have flesh, right? We have a flesh that fights against the will of God. Um, And I think that in our flesh, it is natural to be nationalist, to bend towards tribalism. And then when there is the arrogance and willingness to listen, people are tempted greater towards tribalism. Um, And understandably so. So I think what's discouraging, I, I want that to be something, nationalism, that we talk about in the church as a real threat, as a real temptation, because it's thrived. It's thrived, so we have to be honest with it and we have to confront it like we call out and confront other temptations towards sin. Um, and the reason why, you know, the reason why I'm, I'm talking about nationalism as, um, as, as sinful is because I, I myself, I think, I think growing up, there was a, 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 so much confusion <laughs> towards the history of the church as I saw it in America. And it was, it was baffling to me um, 
that Christians could partake in, in things like the slave trade. And so I didn't grow up thinking of my culture or my race as, as less than. I grew up as esteeming it. And it's not because my parents taught me to by any means, but it was because of the own bitterness and wound in my heart towards those that I did not see loving me and accepting me as brother or sister in Christ. I was not invited into that family. And I, I grew bitter and I grew, I was like, God, I love you, but I don't really see why there's a need for me to have relationships outside of the black community. And I was raised in a multicultural community, you know, and I serve now, I've seen myself where I serve now is not, I didn't, I didn't leave the black church because I thought anything was wrong with it. I love that, I love my historically black Baptist church. But I saw myself almost as someone who is going out as a, as a missionary to the multicultural evangelical church to say we must stand together, you know. And I was not by, by doing that, denying myself and taking up my cross. So I think what is most discouraging to me at times is the unwillingness to confront the temptation towards nationalism in our hearts. I have a question for you and a question for you. The first question is, if you have a friend, you're in a, you have a relationship with people where you see hints of racism, or, and I say hints because oftentimes it's very subtle, or you see blatant racism, how do you as a friend practically have that conversation? Um, that's hard, because I'm... I'm, I'm as much, you might think I like confrontation. I run and hide under a rock from confrontation, especially with my friends. And so um, I think if it was with a friend that I have a relationship with, um, I would be much more in a teaching as a friend mode. If it was blatant racist, well, you, y'all, I had, I had to, I had to have a conversation with somebody over my boys once that I, I feel a little bit more empowered to a stranger to be, to say, this is wrong. You were wrong for a friend. It'd be more like kind and teachable, but I think it's worth it. I'm trying to think of just the other day, someone said something and I kicked myself for not saying anything. They said something, I'm going to make up what they said, but it was something along the, this line, the lines like this. They said something like, um, we're doing this thing and they're, oh, I know exactly what it was. Someone was telling me about a podcast and they said, it's a podcast with these three guys. Um, one's a preacher, one's a doctor, and one's a black man. Okay. Right? Either the preacher or the doctor. Thank you. I didn't know this person and it was in passing and there were other people there. And when I left, I thought, I'm so mad at myself. Quick question. How did you notice that? Because I'm aware of those things that I have black children and I would be. I say that because some people wouldn't have even noticed it. Yeah. Well, he didn't notice it. And he was, I was at a, con a Christian conference. <laughs> um, so I walked away from that mad at myself for not saying anything. But those are the kind of things that you're right. People say and don't even notice. Or if they're like, hey, there's, they'll be describing, no one ever says, well, the majority culture, I don't know what, what black people say, but a white person would never say, um, this is my friend, she's white. But they might say, this is my friend and she's black. Do you know what I mean? Okay, sorry. I think we do that too sometimes. You do? Okay. Yeah. Okay, sorry. For sure. 
Well, I do say this, like, well, I remember when we were at a, we were at football practice for my boys this year, and I have two boys that were on the team. They're both black. They were the only black kids on the team. And my husband came out to practice, and I'm like telling him, I was like, okay, Amos has the Red Sox over there, and Deacon has this, and he's like, Jamie, I think I can tell which ones they are. I was like, oh yeah, so those are my. But I do that if some, if someone's like, where are your boys? I'm like, that's my son with the dreadlocks. That's my son with the curly. I don't know. And, and I think, I know for me, I've been trying to be aware of my own subtle forms of racism or seeing people through the lens of, I'm not colorblind, because I, I, I think that's actually not true, but not only seeing their race, but seeing them as a whole person, because oftentimes I'll speak in these terms. And so I think I've become more attentive to it as it relates to my three-year-old, um, because I'm not going to put this person out on the spot, but they live with me. And <laughs> they live with you now or in the past? Now. Okay. And we sleep in the same bed. I was bed. like, and they're not. <laughs> and he's not here to defend himself. I, I feel so bad. I'm going to tell him I, I, I wasn't dishonoring you. I promise. It was a teachable moment. Um, <laughs> but we. <laughs> If you knew my husband, all of this would make sense because he just he he just says what he feels or whatever. And a lot of times he was like, "Yeah, I was talking to this dude. It was a white dude." And I'm like, "Why was like why was that the thing?" And he was like, oh, "I'm sorry." And then he was like, "Yeah, I was talking to this girl. She was white." And I was like, "Preston, like we." Yeah, I just told you his name, but. <laughs> Me being aware of my daughter, I don't want her to begin to engage with people in that way. And so I, 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 I'm noticing it in him and I'm noticing it in myself. And it's like, I think children do that to you, but I don't think we should have to have a child for us to be self-aware of how we're treating people and speaking of people. And so I, I just, I'm just saying for myself, I see that it, it's a lot in me too. Because I think black people, we could think that we don't, we don't be, you know, have playing favorites. Like we do, like, cause we're sinful, you know? But I just, from another mom to another mom, I just want to say like when Eden does that and she's three, she's just saying what she sees and there's some beauty Eden, in that. Eden hasn't, she hasn't pick, picked up oh, just on pressed it yet. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she hasn't picked up on it yet. Well, my son, my biological son, when he was younger, he told me one time his favorite color was white. And I was like, oh dear Lord, we're raising a racist. <laughs> oh my gosh. But he just, at that time in his life, he liked the color white. You're doing a great job, Jamie. It was three. Uh, it wasn't a question. Her her I question. was just okay. Give her her question. I was just being confessing my own sin. Um, for you, let me give some context. I know the question. Yeah, I'm asking you a question. Uh, for context, so in the last year, um, I have a lot of friends that are very hurt and developing a kind of deep hatred for evangelicals. Be honest. They are leaving churches. They are disassociating themselves with all things white culture um, because of the response that they feel that evangelicals have had in light of all of this race conversation. So my question to you, Itohan, is how do you encourage those within minority communities yeah, how do you encourage them when it comes to that? Um, I think the Lord, our Lord Jesus gave us a perfect model for speaking truth and boldness and still loving people. Um, and I encourage I encourage minority 
people in majority culture to um, continue to look to the example of Christ and how you handle conflict, how you handle authority, sinful people in authority, how you handle others' responses to you. Um, you it's, a, it's a daily dying to self, but you have to first acknowledge the anger that you feel. And I think um, in acknowledging that anger, uh, you have to go to God and be comforted by him, be comforted by he who created you as you are. And you, I think oftentimes um, anger that, that is not checked makes an idol of those with whom you have conflict because we're acting as if they are, if they, as if they are able to create a climate that God cannot dismantle in a second. Um, and that's the God that I pray to. And when I think about so many who have fought for equality in the Lord Jesus Christ's name, I think that they knew this same God. So I don't care. I don't care what, um, just like I don't care what the world thinks is true, when I see even within the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters believing and ascribing to a system that is in opposition to the God who made me, I'm, a, I'm, I'm going to disregard that and continue to speak the truth. And I'm going to disregard that and continue to obey him because I love him and his spirit has empowered me to obey him. Does, does that mean it's healthy for everyone who, to continue to be in the community that they're, that they're being hurt by? Sometimes you need to go. Sometimes you need to go. But I think that before you go, you go to that brother and sister with an offense, you know? You go and, be, and try to be reconciled. You go to the leadership in your local church or where you're working and say, this is an error. Bring the word to show them the error. Plead with them the same way you would plead with a friend trying to walk in, live in sin. We're so good at confronting people with certain sinful lifestyles, right? Who confess Christ and you, I'm noticing this in you. Oh, you're, you're, you're talking to this person. You're doing this. This looks suspect. We're good. We're so comfortable. Why is there discomfort when it comes to calling out discrimination prejudice is nothing but hatred honestly you know and we think I think because sometimes I think we lose um, the impact of it being sin against God when we call it racism and not call it what it is which is hatred and the only thing that is second to loving thy neighbor is loving God and both of those call us to turn away from that form of hatred right we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. You think you can do that and discriminate on people based on their culture? Sorry. Sorry. It's not God's law you're following. Your, que your original question was, it's evangelical people minority are being hurt and leaving. Um, I think too, just to speak to majority culture people in this room is it's been a hard two years for our brothers and sisters, um, who are minority. Um, and I think that we have an obligation as sisters in Christ, um, is to acknowledge it and say something about it. And so, um, I think it can be really easy to just be quiet and I, I don't want to rock the boat of my people, my friends at church or whatever. Um, 
you know, God is very clear about, um, hurting when those, like we weep when those we weep. And so when our sisters in Christ and our brothers in Christ are being hurt, are being told they're less than by, by the world is one thing, but in our own churches isn't again, embarrassing as majority culture, we have to also say, this is not okay. This is not okay. I don't believe this to be true. I don't stand for what these other people who look like me are saying. And so I think that just for, just for, just for us to remember is that by saying nothing is agreeing with what everyone else is saying. And so stand up, say something, speak up for your sisters that don't look like you. Can I say also, I'm sorry, just the, the, the increasing love of God that is his gift to us as we grow in him, you know, and as he's faithful to continue his work of sanctification in us, it makes me want to sit at the feet of everyone. I want to learn their stories. I want to see, I want to see what God did in their life. People who I am not around, people of other cultures that are not, I'm, I'm blessed to live in Chicago, Right. You know, I, I have a I have a diverse community around me. So I I have friends from different. But if I places that I don't know people, I want to go and learn from them. You know, I, I had a, I have um, a sister at church a few years ago. She was Samoan. She's Samoan. And she moved back to, because she wanted to spend some some time in that culture and seeing her seeing her and being still connected to her. Um, is helping me learn and understand her history better, which is beautiful. It's beautiful to me. It's encouraging to me because I want to know God more and I see him reflected in every people group that he created. So it seems as if to embrace the beauty of diversity, what fuels that really is embracing the beauty of God, right? Um, Where there is you seeing him rightly, seeing your heart in light of seeing him rightly, repenting of what you see, seeing the lack of love that you've shown towards your brothers and sisters and those who are not in the community of God and turning from that in faith by embracing everyone you see as the rightful image bearer that they are, right? I think that's what it would be because y'all just preached the gospel and I just needed to put the benediction on it. Hey, Um, with that, we're going to open it up for a 10 minute Q and a, and so if there are any questions, which I didn't see, yes, (laughs) which one, (laughs) I know it was great. That was funny. I'm going to repeat the question and then y'all can answer. She was just asking about what, do we know anyone who is biracial and how, well, now I forgot. Who can feel marginalized and what? how can they have a voice in this? Okay. Um, I think, you know, obviously that's, uh, that personal experience is not my own. Um, but I, I am, you know, blessed to be in community with people, with several people who are biracial or multiracial. And I think when I see, um, what I see is that, like, although we acknowledge, again, how God created us and the different cultures that um, comprise our makeup, that's the same for them. And so they are not now only a part of the conversation, but needed in the conversation because they can claim and feel multiple identities and speak from them. So I don't think the, the point is not to classify us um, 
as as black or white or Hispanic or Asian permanently, like in terms of what I mean by that is this is who, how God made us in, as his image bears in the earth. And we're going to still be this color, right? And having our glorified bodies because we know that all tribes and all tongues will praise him, right? So we know that there's a oneness in us. So it's not that it doesn't matter what your um, background is, but it, it matters even down to the, that specific, that, um, specificity so that too should be enjoyed should be celebrated um and i think sometimes uh we need to make sure that we're making room for people who are uh multicultural or multiracial to celebrate every single one of those identities <laughs> ito Han. come on wakanda okay come on I'm going to go back to the spectrum of awareness. And because I'm a follower of Christ, I will first again say you have to remove every thought of shame. We cannot be accepting of forgiveness or his love or correction or direction when we are under shame. So the first thing is that you have to you have to reject that. And I think so many people are unable to even get past that, which is why there's a difficulty to have the conversation. Um, but there's beauty in, in God creating you how he created you. You just have to understand that there's equal beauty in how he created everybody else. Um, so I think if you're new to this conversation, I, and <laughs> white privilege for dummies is that we live, in, we live in a society where whiteness is the norm. Everything is described through the lens of white equals normal. Um, so everything else is other. And those who are othered are often hated and historically hated and put in danger by the mere, uh, their mere difference puts them in danger. It also not only does it put them in danger, but it also um, prevents different opportunities. Uh, I, I mentioned before that I grew up in, in, in um, Oak Park, which is like, I don't know, middle class upper middle class neighborhood outside of Chicago. Uh, my father worked very hard and though we struggled financially, he, we had a home and he drove, well, we're Nigerian. So you, there's only certain kind of cars <laughs> and they're all like German and Japanese cars. So everybody drives the bins. That's just what we do. So my father did that and we lived in the same house and my father would take the same route home. It's his, his house. He would be stopped. He would be stopped at, at minimum three times a week. At minimum, that is my existence. You can't have that. You can't have that. That's why I learned my brother. You know, when he became <laughs> older, pulled over regularly. It's just a part of our lives, and it's a part of life that you have not experienced. So you need the humility to acknowledge that that people are treated differently. And it puts them in danger when there is a disgust and a disdain for difference. Yeah, I know for, I wanted to speak into that real quick because uh, Pastor Ito talked. Um, she's not a pastor though, because you know, we're, oh, we're complementarian, but yeah, the, we are complementarian. I promise we are. Um, <laughs> 
But I, I don't think privilege, and I say this loosely, I don't think privilege is a evil thing in a sense. I, I think it is beneficial to actually leverage your privilege for the sake of others. Um, and so if it's, yeah, I think y'all get that. Yeah. And I think too, your very first step is acknowledging that you have privilege. Because I think that a lot of people will, they'll make you all mad on Facebook because they'll say there's no such thing as white privilege. And I'm like, well, of course they're not. You're white. Like, of course you think that. So I think the first step is acknowledging it. And then you'll start to notice things as well. Oh, you tell them the truth, but you cannot. I am convinced, especially for the believer, unfortunately, it is a work of the spirit of God. Continue to speak truth. But you can't. You can't. Wait, I, 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 her question was like second. Can we? T- Do you still have a question? Mm, that's so good. I mean, I think it, it goes back to. It, I mean, it, it is very essentially the same. Like, they are they approaching this with humility? Do they understand that being a person of color does not mean that you have the same existence as the another person of color? It does not. It's very much, and I think we can look and we can see globally there is there are caste systems based on the darker your skin, right? So there is there is there is a difference even with that, even with um, racially uh, racially the darkest have been despised, and that is the result of of sin. Of, of greed and of, of ambition and of having to create a system that would support this, you know, this supremacist ideology. There needs to be a system that was created to support that. So, but there, it is a system. So there's different levels. So unless you're at the bottom, you cannot speak for those that are tried, that are put at the bottom. You cannot, you cannot, you have your own experiences and they cannot speak for you. But do not assume that you've had equal or same treatment because it's just not historically accurate. We can read and we would spend, a, we, if we just read more, we'd spend a lot less time arguing. Say, say that one more time. I said if we just, they need to tweet if it, we just read call. more, if we just studied. Go ahead. We just studied. If we just all became students of history, I love history. I love literature. Those things have told us stories throughout all these generations. And it starts with the word of God. It starts with the word of God. So I, I just, if we just read more, we would have less arguments. But we think we know, so we don't study. I wish I would have said, um, excuse me? Uh, why, what did the black person do? Like, what was their job? Uh, you know, I think that I wish I would have just kind of called it out because he didn't know he was white. He just didn't even realize what he had done. So I think I just wish I would have called it out to say, you just gave me their professions and his skin color. Do you not know his job? Is that, and then maybe that would have been his answer. Like, oh, I don't know what he did. I just know he's black. I don't know. Uh, but I wish I would have just said something. And you know, I've had to do this for years with adoption. I'm, my kids are adopted. So people say things that aren't true and I just say the right thing back to them. That's kind of what I have learned is like, you don't have to be mean about it. Just just say, oh, you don't mean real mom. You mean first mom, you know? So just say the right thing back. I think what Jamie just said is a huge thing is because the thing is black people can t- talk to they turn blue, which is going to take a long time. <laughs> 
Unless you get a tattoo. All my tattoos look blue. That's part of y'all privilege is that y'all can get colored tattoos. I can't get it. That's a part of it. Seriously, all red on me looks like a bruise. I look like I've been abused. Anyway, so you can't leverage that. Uh, <laughs> so that's part of it. But what I, what I say, I said that to say, we could talk until we turn blue, but there's something that happens when a white person speaks up and says the same thing that we've been saying, they become attentive to it and somehow they believe it differently, which I understand. And so I think speaking out against it just as loudly as the other people are doing well, is a good way to leverage And don't think you can only speak when you know it all. You guys, I just told an embarrassing story up here about what happened with me and my daughter and the water. Like, so I'm saying I'm still learning every single day but even though I made this mistake and I told all of you guys which is kind of embarrassing because it maybe makes you think I don't care but it's not true I'm just learning so you can still speak while you're learning it's something as small as I was having a comment I won't share their name but I was having a conversation with someone who is a part of a church organization that is large substantial uh, all that type of stuff and they are a white woman they had an open position for a women's uh, like Bible study leader and they had all these resumes from majority white women now one resume came in from a friend that she knew that was a black woman she went to the director the boss the big person was like I need you to look at her resume I think that's a part of leveraging her privilege because she could have assumed that all of these white people knew more or were better equipped or that they, they, they should have been in that position. But she had a relationship with someone who was of a different race, of a different color, of a different age that she wanted to be brought in. And she went to the big boss to have it done. And so that's one of them for sure. I want to answer Portia. That's your name. Yes. I think I. Up, I think what I go back to always is God's perfect vision for his church, which we see in Revelation when we see every tribe and every nation worshiping and praising him together. So I think I go to believers of whatever race with that vision and, and cast that vision and say, this is what we know that our, um, our glorified existence will be like. You know, how much are we striving for that now? And I think it's also then practically checking the, the relationships I have in my life. And do I have, you know, relationships with people from other cultures? And if I do not, what do I need to confront in my own heart, in my own history? What conversations? Why am I uncomfortable? <laughs> why is that uncomfortable for me? So there's a lot of work within yourself that you have to do, too. Um, so encouraging all of those things, just first um putting the vision of what, what God calls beautiful in our minds. And then also like actively seeking to form relationship with people that you encounter in life that are different from you. And then examining your heart in those, those places of discomfort and why it's uncomfortable. I think on a practical stance as well, one of my friends, Tasha started something called be the bridge. And so it's just, there's, she has, um, Stuff you can download. There's like a Facebook group. You can start a group in your... I've been in a group before. And it's just a practical meeting together of starting conversations. And she does all the work for you. Is there a website? I'm going to guess it's like bethebridge.com. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. That, I hope that's what it is. Yeah. Be the bridge. So we have to go because we want you to get you to your third workshop. But I just want to I just want to applaud y'all for coming. 
Um, I'm encouraged when people are willing to come because I know this is really a very uncomfortable and awkward conversation for many of us. And so I appreciate um, that y'all would be willing to join in on this conversation, but know that it doesn't stop here. It only starts here. And so the work happens when you go home in your local churches and your families within your friendships. And it also starts when you start praying intentionally for God to help you. And he will help you because he's good. And so thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. For more gospel-centered resources, visit thegospelcoalition.org.